29 years, I believe, um, in a little town called Orangeville, Ontario, and then I planted a church in the suburb of Ottawa, Ontario, and I was there for 23 of those 29 years. So uh, I'm originally from Minnesota, and uh, we have come back, and uh, I pastored Grace Church, and then I retired. So that's a little bit of who I am. This morning, we are celebrating Pentecost, and the passages and the message this morning will be connected to that. And if you would join me, uh, taking your Bibles, page 445, it's an Old Testament prophecy of the coming or the giving of the Holy Spirit. Joel chapter 2 Uh, They had suffered a great deal uh, from a plague of locusts as a judgment and a punishment on them. And God said he would uh, forgive them and restore them. And uh, this is what the prophecy uh, follows. Uh, Joel 2, verse 28 to 32. He says, And it shall come to pass afterward, that is, after God had rescued them from that punishment and plague, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And then we turn ahead to the book of Acts in the New Testament. And this is the lead up to the events of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 some who were gathered in the upper room and there was a sound of the mighty wind that attracted people to come and the tongues of fire were on their heads and they began to speak in other languages from all around the world and then it was Peter who spoke stood up to explain what was happening and he quoted from this passage that we just read from Joel chapter 2 to say This is what has happened now. This promised spirit has been poured out. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And then, going back to the Gospel of John, where Jesus also had instructed the disciples, apostles, about what to expect. And that's why I included that word in my title this morning, Great Expectations. What do they expect is going to happen when the promise of the Spirit is given to them? Now, the first passage from the Gospel of John is John chapter 14, and that is on page 525. John 14, actually 526, verse 25 through 27. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace. Do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then, turning ahead to John 15, that is verses 26 and 27, the very last verses of that chapter. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And then jumping further down, chapter 16, verse 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the reading of God's word for this morning. Brothers and sisters, if you would go out on the street today, maybe to your neighbors or whatever it is, and you would tell them that 
this is Pentecost Sunday. What do you think their response would be? Pentecost Sunday. They would probably look at you and say, what? Cost Sunday? They, they would have a very meager understanding of what we are talking about. Except maybe they know about Christmas, they know about Easter, but beyond that, uh, they'll be very unfamiliar with Pentecost. But I have found that even among Christians, there is a lot of room yet for understanding the dimensions of what was Pentecost all about. And for example, if I would ask you a question this morning, have you received the Holy Spirit? I put that question on our church sign. We have an electronic sign, and so it's out there today. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Well, many Christians would probably say yes, because they know that you cannot believe in Jesus if you have not received the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was talking with Nicodemus about that night when Nicodemus came. He, he said to him, every person must be born from above, born by the Holy Spirit. And so you probably say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, so I know I have received the Holy Spirit. But then I could ask you a second question. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And if you would say, well, yes, then I'd push a little further and say, well, how do you know that? And that's a different question than asking, have you been baptized? As maybe a baby or when you became a believer, baptized with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a different question. And how many times Maybe has anybody, have you ever been asked that question? Probably not. And it may even shake us up a little bit. And that has happened. I know in my ministry back, especially in the 1980s, when there was the neo-Pentecostal movement or the third wave, many enthusiastic believers would come up and they would say to you, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And that kind of shook people up a little bit because they, they didn't know how to answer that. And that segment of the Christian church would say, well, you know, the, the first blessing and the first gift of the Spirit is for rebirth, for being born again, and to have faith like that which Nicodemus was told about. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. John chapter 3. And that's a great blessing. You know that when with integrity you can say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what Jesus asked the disciples one day. And he said, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you're blessed, because man has not taught you that, but my Father in heaven. And that shows that the Holy Spirit, you have received the Spirit. 
Okay, but what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit? How do I know about that? And, and today on Pentecost Sunday, it's a good day to think about that. Because there are several times in the Bible where this event is talked about as the baptism with or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if we know our Gospels well, even the book of Acts here alludes back to John and his baptism. And Jesus foretold that. He said, you know, John baptized people with water for repentance of their sins, to get ready to anticipate the coming of the Messiah. But Jesus said that the day will come when he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Matthew 3, verse 11. Matthew 3, 11. That will be Jesus' ministry, to baptize God's people with the Holy Spirit and to baptize the unbelieving world with fire, the fire of judgment. And we know that, that the fire of judgment comes only at the last day. That happens only once. But Jesus' ministry of baptizing with the Spirit is a continuous thing. It's ongoing as people hear the gospel, as they're being drawn to Christ. For as long as the end time is delayed, that baptizing with the Holy Spirit will continue. And if it is continuous, then when we read this account of Pentecost, the question arises, is the way it happened on Pentecost Day, is that the way it happens continually now as well? That there was pouring out of the Spirit, the tongues of fire, the speaking with tongues, things like that. And there are Christians who would say, yeah, that's what we should expect. That's a model because it's mentioned four times in the book of Acts alone. And so therefore that should be what we expect. And, and you know, the first time is Acts chapter 2. The second time is in Acts chapter 8, 14 to 17. And what happens there is that the disciples in Jerusalem hear that, oh, the Samaritans have believed in Jesus as Messiah and Savior. And so they hear that. So they say, okay, Peter and John, you go up to Samaria and check this out. Let's find out what's happening there. And so they went and they found out that those believers had been baptized in Jesus' name because that's what Peter said on Pentecost Day. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus and you will receive the Spirit. But they found that when the Samaritans were gathered, that they had not received the Holy Spirit. hadn't come upon any of them. There was no evidence of that. So Peter and John lay their hands upon those Samaritans and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And we know that something visible must have happened because there was a man there by the name of Simon the Sorcerer. He was a magician. And he saw that the giving of the Holy Spirit happened when they laid their hands on them. And he said, hey, I want that. 
I want to do that too. And the apostles said, no, that, we, that's not done in that way. You can't buy this. And then we go a little further, Acts chapter 10, and where uh, Peter went to the house of Cornelius in uh, Caesarea. And uh, while Peter is preaching in his house, the Holy Spirit comes upon all who are there, and they also uh, receive the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues, and they praise God. Acts 10, 44 to 48. And then the last time, the Apostle Paul is on his third missionary journey. This is in Acts chapter 19. And he comes to Ephesus, and he finds that there are some believers there who are disciples of John, John the Baptist. And we know that in the early church, that was, there was like a strong group of people who continued to follow the, uh, John the Baptist as his disciples. And when they talk with him, they find out that, no, these believers had not even heard about the Holy Spirit. So they explain it to them, and they lay their hands on them. They rebaptize them into Jesus' name, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they speak in tongues, and they prophesy. So some people would say, see, four times that's in the book of Acts. So it must be a model for us that we need to experience that same thing. But there are others who say, no, 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 no. It's not a model. It's a milestone. It's a marker. Because as the church expands, God gives these evidences that when these people who were outsiders, they were not accepted by the Jewish people, when the gospel comes there and they believe in Jesus, they are to be welcomed in. And they needed that evidence to help them accept these new believers as one with them in the body of Christ. Christ is making a statement here because like it says here, the book of Acts is to show you what Jesus is continuing to do. The gospel, what he started doing, the book of Acts, what he's continuing to doing. He's building his church, the bride of Christ. And in this new church, Everybody is to be welcome, no matter who they are, rich or poor, slave or free. And so there were four different groups now that are mentioned here. First, the Jews in Jerusalem. Second, the Samaritans. Third, the Gentiles. And fourth, those stubborn disciples of John. And all of them are to be brought in and welcomed. Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. The promise was made. Peter preached that. Whoever believes in Jesus as the Messiah will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And at each milestone on that road, the Lord helps the church to welcome those new believers in by giving these evidences to be seen. So the Spirit continues to be poured out as a baptism. And that would also be the case later if you read in Corinthians 
Paul writes the letters to the Corinthians. And that church was a hodgepodge of all kinds of people. And there were all sorts of sinners in that church, some of whom were still living in sin while they were believers in Jesus. And some of them were defiling the Lord's Supper by the way they treated the poor. They wouldn't welcome them to the love feast that they held. And yet Paul says to all of them in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we all have been baptized with one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So you hear that. Paul doesn't say some of us were baptized with the spirit. Only the really spiritual people or only those who uh, have had special experiences of some sort or other, the mature. No, no, no. We all were given the spirit to drink, to take in, to receive, to be blessed with his life-giving and life-sustaining and energizing life of Christ from that spirit. And so even today, that is true. Paul could say every believer in Christ not only has received the spirit, they have at the same time been baptized with that spirit. And if we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, Savior, and Lord, then that promise is for us, and it is already now active. What we need to do now is to drink, to take it in. And there's different words in the New Testament for that. Yield to the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And then, just like when a seed is planted, and we see that now in the springtime, you plant the seed, and then it has to sprout. It has, a flower has to bud and then bloom. And that's what happens with the Spirit as well. We receive it, but it has to expand in our lives and it has to be unfolded within us. And so in our understanding, especially in Reformed circles, there are not like two different blessings of the Spirit, one to have faith and the other to have power. But no, there is one giving of the Spirit that then begins to be unfolded as we grow in our Christian life and faith. And so today, when we think about the historical act of that pouring out of the Spirit on Pentecost Day, in order to help us live with that, I, I'd like to suggest that another picture that comes from the Bible of the Spirit and the Bride. That take, that's taken from the book of Revelation. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, Lord Jesus. And here at Pentecost, think about this as the Bride, Groom, Jesus, giving his Bride a wonderful gift. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the church needs to know that and let that gift flourish among us. And you know, think about what happens when a bride and a groom get married today. And if you're married, think about what happened for you. That, like the Bible says, two become one. 
you merge your lives together on many levels. And sometimes the bride takes the groom's last name. Or you take all your stuff that you've accumulated and you merge it into a new household. You furnish your new home with your possessions. Maybe you have a joint bank account. And maybe you even share the same closet space. That, that's amazing. Uh, but the spirit and the bride. The bride groom gives the spirit to the bride. And we talked about that this morning. The union and the communion that happens because of that. And there's something that happens then when the gift of the Spirit is given. And that's why I read from the Gospel of John because it mentions several other things that the Spirit also does. In the book of Acts, it focuses primarily on power. You will receive power to do the mission that you need to do. But the Spirit does many more things besides empower for mission. It's a very important one. But in these passages, the one that we read in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit as another advocate, a counselor. And, and it's a very difficult word in Greek. It's the word parakletos. If you hear, hear, know the word parallel, that means two lines next to each other. Well, para means to come alongside, and kletos means to be called. You call somebody to be alongside of you when you got in trouble with the law in that time. And that person would help you. He would be like an advocate for you when you had to go to court. But it's difficult because that helper does many things. He counsels. He is a comforter. Um, He's a helper. And so various Bible translations give it different names. Paraclete, counselor, advocate, comforter. And all of them focus on something that the Spirit is doing for us and with us. And some people have even said, well, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit is the, the, the God who connects with us. And that's what this wonderful wedding gift is, that we have a second... This is how Jesus is with us now, by the Holy Spirit. That's his gift, through the Spirit. He's with us. And then in John 16, that another thing about the Holy Spirit here, he, he's called the Spirit of Truth. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that's why I said the Spirit will take what is mine and make it known to you. Some people have said this is the go-between God. From the Father comes to us the Holy Spirit, and he'll take from Jesus and the Father and give it to us. And that's how what Jesus did gets applied to us. It's through the Holy Spirit. The redemption that he accomplished on the cross now is given to us through the Spirit. So we are justified, we are sanctified, we are cleansed, we are given God's grace, and God's love is poured into our hearts. We can experience that. 
God loves us. We experience that through the Holy Spirit. He brings that to us and lets it touch us and work in us. We might even say the Holy Spirit helps to save us and make us aware of all of that and so that we can enjoy it. And so I ask the question today, do you expect that? This is what you should be expecting, that the Spirit will bring Jesus into my life. That's a wonderful wedding gift. A helper who secures us and clothes us with the robes of Christ so that we are made pure and holy and spotless. And then in John 14, there was another task of the Holy Spirit that was he would to help the disciples remember everything that Jesus had taught them. And John says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and he will remind you of everything I've said to you. And those two statements together was helpful for them to go out preaching, but not only that, it would also help them to write the Gospels. So the Gospel is a working of the Holy Spirit and as it's written down in the Bible, that's a work of the Spirit. And that is a great gift that we have through that, the Bible. And there's probably a nuance in there that many people don't think about, but it also suggests that as we go forward in time, there will be things that Jesus never talked about. And there are some religions, and I know that is the case like with Islam, that they feel that everything has to conform exactly to what was said in the Quran. And you have to stick with that. You can't change from it. It's got to be that way. But Christians have this, that though the Bible is our foundation and the principles are there and the teachings are there, the Holy Spirit is, helps us to take it and go beyond what was happening. Like, say, for example, slavery. Uh, the New Testament did not say slavery is wrong. But by the Holy Spirit, we have been able to see that and to say, no, all the principles are there that will show that slavery is not in God's will. Romans 12 talks about how when we have our minds renewed, we can test and approve what is the perfect will of God. We can take it and apply it to situations that did not exist at the time the Bible was written. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is that he will help us. 1 John 2:27 says that the anointing that you have received means that you do not need anyone to teach you, but the Spirit will teach you. You don't need anybody beyond what we have in the Scriptures because you have the truth in Christ, but He will lead you into all the truth, working it out. He'll illumine our minds and our hearts so we understand God's will for the times in which we live. That's a wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11 and 12, that has always intrigued me, and I find it very encouraging. 
where it talks about how the Holy Spirit is curious. The Holy Spirit searches all things. And, you know, you might think about that sometimes. If you are curious, you're wondering, what does that mean? You know, and you puzzle about it. Well, that is the Holy Spirit at work in you so that you can want to know God more and the teachings of Scripture more. And the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we will be curious, we will investigate, want to learn. And then lastly, in John 15, the Holy Spirit, the Helper Spirit, is a spirit who will testify. And that's a wonderful thing. He says, when the Counselor comes whom I send you from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself or as God's Spirit, but he draws attention to Jesus and to the Father. And he always will be talking and showing us Jesus' divinity, Jesus' humility, Jesus' integrity, his compassion, his self-sacrifice, his righteousness, his lordship. The Holy Spirit, some people have said, is the invisible actor of the Trinity. And he always brings us back to Jesus Christ. And not only does that help the apostles, but we too, we testify. We are witnesses. We can say, this is what has happened to me in my life because the gift that Jesus gave me of eternal life through the Holy Spirit and I have union and communion with him. And so they were empowered on Pentecost Day to go out and do that. And today too, know this, you have received the Holy Spirit, you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Two ways of talking about the same gift that God gives us. And that Spirit will help us put away our nervousness, our anxiety, our misunderstandings, put away those things that trouble us in our relationships, working out our salvation, and he'll help us to testify to what we know and have experienced in Christ. That's part of the message of Pentecost Sunday. A message to be believed, to be received, to be celebrated, to be explored, to be lived out. And brothers and sisters, I would encourage you today to read that passage again. Think about it. Drink in that Holy Spirit that has been poured out so that you